Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Outspoken with White and Jordan 100% engagement It's a total disrespect Download, stand well back, listen Jim White and Simon Jordan I don't see that view Outspoken with White and Jordan From the world's biggest sports radio station Talk Sport Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan I'm Sam Matterface and today myself and Alex Crook Spoke about Rangers Hunt for a new manager As we get set for a second episode of Match Officials Miked Up tonight, did the events of last week see a turning point for VAR or is more pressure mounting on the PGMOL? And we react to the news that the UK and Ireland will host Euro 2028. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Uh, Rangers fans are uh, waking up to the news this morning that the favourite for the job now is Philippe Clement, who is uh, the guy who was sacked by Monaco uh, in the summer for failing to get into European competition. They won one of their last seven games at the end of last season. He was replaced by Adi Huta over the course of the summer. Clever and Muscat is still in there. He's one of the leading contenders as well. But I wonder what Rangers fans are thinking this morning because seemingly uh, it, it comes across on social media that they'd rather have someone who is unknown to the, the British game um, in charge of their club than someone like Frank Lampard or Scott Parker or even Wayne Rooney, all of whom have been mentioned at some point over the course of uh, the weekend. Is that because fans now are, are more tactically mm. aware and they've looked into it and they've studied it a little bit more? Or is it because there's a narrative surrounding some of the members of that golden generation? I think it's probably a combination of the two. Uh, I think if you look at Frank Lampard, who we know was someone that Graham Sunez, I think, would have recommended for the job at Ibrox, it was the negative reaction, the adverse reaction from Rangers fans that I think probably put paid to his chances. Uh, Scott Parker was it was another potential contender, but we've reached out to sources close to him, and I think he's biding his time before he goes back in the dugout, but I'm not sure he was ever a front runner for that job then you look at Steven Gerrard who's obviously had to go over to Saudi Arabia to try and rebuild his career obviously he's been handsomely rewarded financially but did he really not have belief in his ability to get another top job in the Premier League that he had to go over and, and take the dollar over in Saudi I think, it's, I think it's fascinating I think when it comes to Lampard you and I have slightly different opinions on his credentials you think he did a good job at Derby uh, I would suggest that actually Finishing-wise, they've what one place higher than they were the previous season and still lost out in the playoffs. Chelsea 
first time what around. What happened to Derby after that? Took them, into the, took them into the top four. What happened to Derby after that? And, and, and then it all unravelled very quickly once he actually had a transfer budget. And you look well, at it. It didn't his... unravel, did it? I mean, when, they, when he left the club, I think it was four months later they won the Champions League, didn't it? Was that unravelling, is it? Well, would they have won the Champions League if Frank Lampard had well, stayed in charge? We don't know the answer well, I think to that. But, but, we do, that. but we do know that it wasn't that long afterwards that it happened. I, so, so it can't be all bad. I, I don't think he's as good as, as you suggest he is. Well, and I, I haven't suggested anything. I'm just answering your question. And I think Rangers fans see themselves still, certainly they would argue they're the biggest club in Scotland. Obviously Celtic supporters would argue otherwise. They believe that they can compete in Europe. Although you look at their last result last week and, and you would question that as well. But I think Rangers fans see themselves at a certain level and they don't think Frank Lampard would be good enough for them. It'll it's be it, interesting it, to see where Lampard pitches up it, next. It's, it's, inter- well, it's more interesting to see what, why the Rangers fans feel the way they do and that where they would seemingly prefer someone who hasn't got been able to get Monaco into um, the, uh, the the Champions League, the Europa League or even the Conference League last season. Um than they would to have someone who you know presided over a team that got into the Champions League places, saved Everton from relegation in the biggest league in the world. Uh, while they wouldn't want someone, for example, like Scott Parker, who'd done a very good job getting Fulham promoted to the Premier League. And relegated again. But, but ultimately, what, what, what has Philippe Clement done? You told me he had a great CV earlier on, then you went through the CV and you started to backtrack. Well, he's won the league in Belgium. Right, um, and bowl accounts did well with both uh, Genk and Club Rouge. It's a slightly different level, though, isn't it? You know, I mean, you're assessing a manager that's won something in Belgium and a manager that's won some who has been a part of um, the Premier League. Been a part of, well, been a part of the Premier League. <laughs> you were going to say he's done won it, something. Been in a the relative League. success in the Premier League. Uh, listen, I think we need to ask Rangers fans why they didn't want Frank Lampard and why they're happy with Philippe Clement. I personally think that Kevin Muscat has just as bigger chance you look you look at the fact does he, he have just the biggest chance or is that because well, he played you've for, spoken to his camp and he wants to be involved he plays he certainly wants to be involved he played for rangers uh, i think he has done well in japan he's done well in australia he's currently overseeing a team who are top of the league in japan obviously he learned his trade from Ange postacoglu i think the issue that is attached to kevin muscat if you think of kevin muscat the player then he was Rough and ready. Uh, I think we'll, we'll, but put, we'll put it from like what that. I understand play quite good football. Exactly, don't they? but may, but maybe that message hasn't quite seeped across the Rangers fans because they just remember Muscat. This is the what I'm worried about actually. Is that this is almost like a, a PR issue rather than a uh, an issue about how good these people really are. You know, did you get to speak to uh, um, Frank Lampard, Rangers? Did you get to speak to Scott? Parker? I think they did speak to Frank did Lampard. You, did you? Did you? Do, do we know what the plan would be, or is it all about a PR exercise? Because ultimately, the most important thing is what happens on the pitch going forward. I'm not suggesting that Frank Lampard's the answer. I'm not suggesting Scott Parker's the answer. But I'm interested that the positive reaction that comes across to someone who has never managed in the in the British Isles and is literally just been fired by Monaco is more of a warm reception than someone who has been a relative success whether you agree or not at other clubs at a higher level I think Frank Lampard did himself more harm than good by going back to Chelsea I understand the emotional attachment of why he would have wanted to do it but I think if he'd done his diligence he would have known that he was walking into an absolute car crash he won one game didn't he I think I was there at Bournemouth yeah. last season so I don't think that's done him any favours and I guess there's a financial element to <laughs> no this as well no one's won many games at Chelsea over the course of the last year mate but I guess there's a financial element as well because I would imagine that Frank Lampard would probably be trying to command a higher salary than now Philippe Clement. Now that might be an interesting uh, take actually mightn't it to find out how much Philippe Clement would be on if he went there we'll find out maybe over the course of time be interesting to hear from Rangers fans 0371722233 
Uh, double four is the number to call. You can text us as well. Eight ten eighty nine. I'm just interested, to be honest with you, because I want to know whether or not this is because you've studied him and you think that his methods are great, or whether or not it's actually just because of the narrative that surrounds some of these other bigger name managers that have uh, have have done other work in the Premier League and in the Championship uh, before. Oh three seven one seven double two double three double four. And it makes me wonder how these people are going to get back in if that is the narrative that surrounds them every time they go mm. to get a job. That actually the reaction is so bad that clubs then back off and I don't understand why that would be the case really I think that's a problem and again if you look at Scott Parker it was a gamble wasn't it a bold move going over to Belgium that turned into a complete disaster for him as well so you wonder where his reputation is now and as I say the fact that Steven Gerrard a former Rangers manager so certainly worth uh, mentioning in this debate clearly didn't feel like he was going to get back into Premier League management anytime soon. He's gone over to Saudi Arabia. I think it's going to be a similar issue for the likes of uh, Frank Lampard and Scott Parker. Does I that guess- mean we're losing good like, good English managers, good English coaches to to the game? We're not, we're not, we're not keeping them within a, within the game well enough we're looking after them or what, what what's going wrong here yeah I can understand that that point of view but I guess there's also the counter argument and we were talking about this yesterday off air managers being given jobs based on reputation, reputation based on their playing careers if you look at Steven Gerrard he got parachuted straight into one of the big, one of the two biggest clubs in Scotland, to say Rangers fans would say the biggest club but in he, Scotland. But he can't be then doing he, too Then he badly. goes to Aston Villa, straight into the Premier League. He won League. the league at Rangers. Then run the, won the you league could for win, Rangers. You could win the league at Rangers. Come on, so you're, you're in a two horse title race. But what I'm saying is, would it not have been better for Steven Gerrard maybe to work That's his way so up through the EFL? Not only that league, but also of the fact that uh, of Rangers, because ultimately what you're saying then is, is it doesn't matter who's in the dugout. So why 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 the bigger version to put in Frank Lampard in there? No, I'm just saying that you. you well, no, you've backtracked you, 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 now. You, it's not that much of a success as Rangers so, managers so to win the league. You, it's why, why it's almost the bare. It's then? almost the bare minimum. But back to my point. Would it not have been better for people like Steven Gerrard to have served their apprenticeship in the EFL, as Lampard did actually with that time in charge at Derby, rather than going straight into the Premier League after Rangers, failing in the Premier League, and then all of a sudden he's back to square one? I just think we're just too quick to write everybody off. And I think at the end of the day, if you look back at um, David Moyes' career, for example... I think everyone was just throwing away the fact that he hadn't done very well at Manchester United, and that was it. He was finished. But no he had that back catalogue. He was... At Everton. No, but that, that, and that still didn't stop you from uh, having a go at him when he was uh, the manager of Real Sociedad, when he was the manager of Sunderland. You still, people were still not having him. He's come back to West Ham now and look at the success that he has been. They've won the European trophy. They've had their best start to the season since 1983-84. Look at how Aston Villa have prospered without Steven Gerrard. OK, and sometimes it doesn't work out for certain managers at different clubs. But do we throw them away and never hire them again? We went into a situation, and I think this is true, where we gave too many of the old school managers too many jobs on a regular basis. We kept going back to the same old figures. But just because someone has failed once or twice doesn't mean we should throw them away and never hire them again. That's what concerns me. Yeah, I agree. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. You're getting stick now, aren't you, for saying it was a one-team uh, two two league. league, didn't you? Uh, a couple of people have suggested that England's now a one-team league, yeah, which see, well, uh, we'll, see. we'll see at the end you of the season. You're being disrespectful, which is not unusual for you. Uh, Stephen is a Rangers fan. Hello? I'm a Celtic fan, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. OK, all right. We've well, got yeah. Rangers on my screen, so I apologise uh, for that. Oh, yeah, Do you want to tell us what you think? Listen, I, I don't think Fagel Lampard should be anyone near the, the Chelsea, uh, the, the, the Rangers job. OK. Um, I don't think people down south realise the pressure of Glasgow. Um, you lose one game and it's crisis. And also, what 
a lot of leagues around Europe are one horse races or two horse races Germany, Italy, Spain you know so I think it's very dismissive and very disrespectful to suggest that Frank Lampard keep top here and stole it well, what makes you think? I mean, listen, you're not a Rangers fan, and so I'm asking you to sort of give me an alternative. Who is the alternative? What makes you think that Philippe Clement, who's just been sacked by Monaco, is the answer? No, no, listen, I don't think I don't think he is the job either, because, like you say, he's just been sacked. Um, look, it's it's a tough job, and I don't necessarily think he should get the job either. But I think. Basically, looking close at home in Scotland, like Derek McInnes. Okay, so so, so 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 hold on a second. But then Derek McInnes struggled. Didn't he get sacked by Aberdeen? No, no, he left. So 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 who are you who who are you suggesting should get it? Someone from inside Scotland, someone that knows Glasgow yeah, yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Or even Kevin Muscat because he's got a good reputation. He's won leagues in Japan and in Australia, like you mentioned, and apparently he plays good football. And also, he knows um, the city. I would I, I would assert. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, listen, it's more the fact that I mean, down south, there is a perception of anyone can win the Scottish League. Well, he just you know? said that, which was ridiculous. Crook just said that. It's out- outrageous, really. Anyone can win the, the Scottish League. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, look at Stephen Gerrard. He won trophy in nine. Is that a success? I was, I was going to ask that question, because actually, yeah, the, the argument that the Sam's now trying to, trying to twist to have a pop at me is that Stephen Gerrard won the Scottish League and I said well anyone can do that but actually if you speak to Rangers fans they look back at Stephen Gerrard's career and they feel that he should have won more trophies well, they feel that he but underachieved but that's okay to do that but you've still got to go in and, and, and do something this time around they're in a situation where we've spoken to Rangers people this morning who are suggesting that they're in decline they need someone to rejuvenate them who can do that 03717 Lampard teams are disjointed he wouldn't have got Everton relegated if he'd stayed Tuchel won the Champions League with the same team uh, Rangers would finish outside the top two with Lampard as manager Owen Glasgow uh, part of the Rangers nation not necessarily sure that's the case but anyway uh, McGraham from Falker don't know who comes up with Clement as uh, favourite has to be Muscat for me trained alongside a top manager in Big Ange and has the streak we're missing have been missing for a long time and a bit of steel in the dressing room someone who will get a grip of a poorly performing team by the scruff of the neck hope he still has that hard streak alongside the fact that he has a better record than Ange in the J League and in Australia do you know what the more I sort of hear about Kevin Moscat, the more I think he's probably more suited to it, especially bearing in mind that he's been a Rangers player before. He understands the city, he understands the, the team, and he's done his coaching elsewhere and has had relative success. I'd rather have someone that was connected to the club yeah. rather than, than someone who doesn't understand the landscape at all. I guess there's a fine line because we've had a lot of uh, appointments based on they know the club, um, but I think in this case it, it's relevant and I think the one thing you know about Kevin Muscat, anyone who's seen him play, anyone who's spent any time in his company, he does have that steely determination. He will shake up the dressing room, uh, which is what I think they need at Ibrox. So yeah, I, I think Muscat, who, who, listen, we know he's not out of the race. We don't believe he's leading the race, but he is still a contender and I think that would be probably a better appointment than Clermont at this moment in time. Well, well, we were lucky enough to have him on the show not so long ago and this is what he said about his time in Japan and what he his plans are for the future. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I hope uh, there's been some European clubs, top European clubs that have come across here. You know, Ange's work previously and then his work in Celtic and now obviously what we'll see in, uh, at Spurs. Uh, it's, a, it's a real good competition. 
uh, lovely place to live. Uh, you know, we love living here. I'm, I'm just thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, who knows uh, what will happen in the future, but at this point in time, I'm, I'm really comfortable where I'm at. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. I don't know how we're going to solve this situation with uh, referees because there just seems to be a bit like with the manager discussion, the narrative now is just to keep having a go at them all the time and not actually finding a way forward. Um, Mauricio Pochettino even went as far as to say he doesn't trust uh, certain aspects of the way that VAR is implemented. As a football manager, do you still have confidence in VAR? And should the people who are operating it have more... Right, it's two different questions. Yeah, well, I, I trust in the VAR and, and how we, we manage the VAR. Is, <laughs> I trust in the car, but, you know, the driver is, is a... You know, that is the problem. Uh, no, I, I, I was very critical from the beginning about the VAR many years ago. I think it's got the, the gold decision. I think the, this technology is to use... You know, we've crossed the line of you not know, the ball. I think it's important to keep, and then when it's offside also, but to take time is important for the referee. And then maybe we can discuss and argue about you know if the referee need to be more involved or the referee need to have the the last say. Yeah, that's always the idea that the referee does have the last say. Um, Gary O'Neill, uh, the Wolves manager, was on drive yesterday. He says that it's in the worst place it's ever been. I've always been. St- strongly for it because I think it makes complete sense I just think it needs improving um, although at this moment I think it's probably in the in the worst place it's been in um, so probably the closest to being against it that I've ever been but I, I, I do still believe that it just needs improving I just think uh, I think slowing everything down being able to see it again having a fresh pair of eyes on it I think it should all make it easier but it, we just I still don't think we're coming to the right conclusion often enough um, is this a chance then uh, for during the international break a, a reset, a cultural reset in the VAR room, a cultural reset in the way that PGMOL approach um, the use of VAR in the Premier League? Well, you'd like to think so. I'm actually quite intrigued to see in this mic'd up program how much Howard Ref Howard Webb tackles these issues. We've all heard the audio from the Liverpool Tottenham game. I don't think it painted the PGMOL in a particularly good light. We've already mentioned it was all too matey as far as we're concerned. And I think what needs to happen, and that audio really is conclusive proof of that, is there needs to be a completely separate VAR team to the on-field officials who take charge of Premier League matches. It's, you, you can't have mates judging each other, maybe being scared to undermine each other. I think if you make it a separate department, I think instantly... Um, results will improve, and and they need to, as you, they need to focus better. I mean that that conversation was was the type you'd have with your, your mates in the pub, not when you're overseeing a, a crucial game at the top of the Premier League table. I think there's a couple of things that they need to do over the course of uh, this uh, this this short window where they've got a chance to reset, and that is to implement professional communication. Yeah. So it sounds like. What they're doing is a job and everyone's taking it seriously. There's no confusion as a result of using proper monikers as opposed to Daz and Ollie. You know, let's, let's use VAR, AVAR, video operator, referee, assistant referee one, whatever it is, but just clear, concise communication. There's too many voices in that room as well, making too much noise. It must be very distracting for the on-field referee that can hear some of it, not necessarily all of it. Improve the communication. Second thing is, as you say, VAR and on-field team should be two different entities. And finally, put the game first. 
The protocols are fine. The rule book is fine. The laws are, are great. That's okay. Follow them as you would. But in a situation, in a dire emergency, where you have made a major error and you haven't given a goal that should have stood, think about the game first, not the protocol. The problem in that room at that time was is they thought about the protocol yeah. and they worried about breaking that rather than getting the result right. The game has to come first. Football is the most important thing, not whether you've broken uh, the rules surrounding the laws it, of the game. It, it did sound like the sort of black box from an aircraft, didn't it, that, that conversation? And, and if that was a conversation between a pilot and co-pilot and you were on that plane, I think you'd be slightly concerned about whether you'd actually end up in your final destination or not. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. It's official. The UK and Ireland's bid to host Euro 2028 has been formally approved by UEFA. It has been announced in the last few moments. Ten stadia across the five nations will host the matches in five years' time. Analysts projecting a €3 billion Euro boost to host nation economies on the back of the tournament. The bid was unopposed after Turkey withdrew to focus on a joint bid for the 2032 finals alongside Italy and it was given the official seal of approval by UEFA's executive committee on Tuesday morning. Yes, Wembley hosted the final in 2021, the delayed tournament. It was a very different tournament. It was spread across 11 countries in 2021. It was supposed to be scheduled for 2020. As a result of the pandemic, it was delayed by a year. It's the first time that the UK 
and Ireland have bid to host a tournament together. It's the first time that a tournament will be on these shores in its entirety since 1996. So there it is. The UK and Ireland's bid to host Euro 2028 has been formally approved. We were expecting this announcement this morning and it's great news, isn't it? Oh, it's fantastic news. Uh, I think it's been a long time in coming. Euro 96 was one of my favourite tournaments. I think we have the infrastructure, we have the state-of-the-art stadiums to put on a really good tournament. Obviously, there would be some concerns after what happened at the Euros final. You'd like to think that UEFA and the authorities will make sure there's no repeat of that. But it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be a a fabulous summer of football. And I, I like the idea of it being spread across the UK, obviously not just held in England. The 10 stadiums, a reminder, will be Wembley, the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is obviously a brilliant venue, the Etihad, Everton's new stadium, assuming that gets built in time, St James's Park up in Newcastle, Villa Park, uh, which was one of the host venues for Euro 96 as well, Hamden Park in Glasgow, the Aviva Stadium, Dublin, and Casement Park in Belfast as well. Casement Park hasn't been built yet. Um, and nor so, the Everton Stadium. Uh, the, the Everton Stadium hasn't been finished. And actually, Villa Park is listed as a, a host stadium on the basis that it's got a 52,000 capacity. That isn't the case at this moment in time. And they are... Have already got planning permission to increase that. They've got quite an ambitious project at Aston Villa in order to try and make that a, a, a brilliant sort of entertainment venue, not only by redoing, I think it's the North Stand and wrapping it into the Trinity Stand, but also by building a, a, a new bespoke fan zone next to the, the stadium as well. But the idea of it going all up and down the country and Brilliant. the whole country being, you know, the whole of the, the, the British Isles and the Ireland being. At the centre point of the summer, it'd be, it'd be superb. 24 teams. The idea being that five teams uh, obviously are hosting it, five countries are hosting it. Three places, uh, well, two places will be reserved for hosts uh, in the tournament. England's saying they'll turn one of those down. What we think will happen is, is that three teams will attempt to qualify automatically and then the ones that don't get through, hopefully there'll only be two of those and they'll get in anyway so I mean hopefully everyone gets there I suppose that's the key thing isn't it yeah it'd be a shame for for Northern Ireland for example you probably think of the most vulnerable to not qualifying if if they get a home tournament and they're not part of it that would be an issue but you say yeah there's a stopgap for nations like that if they don't qualify uh, via the group stage then they they will get in uh, automatically but if three teams don't qualify from the group stage then one of those would miss out so uh, hopefully that doesn't happen and all five qualify. England are going to qualify, aren't they? I mean, it's, it's it's not that magnanimous of the FA to say, oh, we, you know, we'll, we'll qualify through the proper channels because they almost always qualify and when they don't, it's an absolute disaster. And I can see the sense as well from the FA that they want England to be playing competitive games yeah. in the lead-up to that tournament because if you go back to Euro 96, they weren't necessarily in the best form. They had to feel their way into that tournament because they hadn't been playing competitive games. Well, actually, games. if you look at it closer to home, look at Germany. You know, mm. you don't want to go into a, a, a tournament undercooked. Qualification is easier than ever before because of the number, te- number of teams that get to the final tournament. The risk is small. The reward great I think that gets them tuned up in time for the European Championships they'll hope to qualify and so will Scotland so will Ireland so will Wales and Northern Ireland as well it should be an historic tournament on these shores UK and Ireland are confirmed as the Euro 2028 hosts Um, obviously there was a lot of discussion about bidding for 2030 in the World Cup but once it became apparent that UEFA were going to favour a bid 
for Spain and Morocco and FIFA were thinking of doing something more expansive as we've already told you in a couple uh, last week about the South America games in that particular tournament the UK and Ireland then decided to turn their attention to this huge bid for 2028 that's now been officially ratified today so there will be a full European Championships on these shores in just five years time Brilliant. listening to Talk Sport White and Jordan download stand well back Listen, Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Also been confirmed uh, in the last few minutes that Turkey and Italy have been confirmed as the hosts for Euro 2032. Uh, But a reminder of that big breaking news this morning. uh, The UK and Ireland's bid to host Euro 2028 has been formally approved by UEFA. Ten stadia across five nations hosting matches in five years' time. It was unopposed, the bid, after Turkey withdrew to focus on a joint bid with Italy for the 2032 finals. Uh, UEFA's executive committee met this morning in Neon. They ratified the whole thing and as a result of that, we'll be seeing games at Tottenham Hotspur, the Etihad, Villa Park, St James's Park, Everton's new ground at Bramley Moor, Dock, Cardiff Principality Stadium, Hampden Park, the Aviva Stadium in Dublin, and Casement Park in Belfast as well with Wembley set to host the final. You want to give us your reaction to that? 1889 on the text. Brilliant news for the economy as well. I think uh, it's estimated £3 billion will be generated from this tournament. And in terms of Wembley, I mentioned it earlier in those scenes that we saw uh, before and and during the Euro Euro final when England lost to Italy. £4 million worth of improvements on the National Stadium to ensure there isn't a repeat of that. Um, it's been fascinating to read what some of the UEFA executives have been saying. The UK and Ireland bid would always have been the favourite, I think, no matter what happened, uh, even if it was up against the Turkish bid. The senior UEFA sources repeatedly stressing the importance of hosting another European Championship in a major market to maximise revenue. They're desperate to do that following on from Euro 2024 because they want to boost UEFA's finances in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. There's still going to be issues for the bid team to resolve over the next five years with the agreement still to be reached on who will fund the redevelopment of Casement Park. Uh, plans for a 34,000 Caesar Stadium have been delayed by legal challenges and further complicated by the lack of a functioning executive at Stormont as well. And costs have risen from an original estimate of around about £77.5 million to more than £100 million. Um, the GAA is part funding the project. It's not reached an agreement with Stormont over where the remainder of the uh, funds will come from. But decisions uh, like the ones made today uh, mean that England will be involved in hosting a Euros final for a third time. They're hosted alone in Euro 96, one of 11 countries in Euro 2020, and now set to host the final with the UK and Ireland as the official hosts in 2020. Eight. Uh, looking forward to it. Can't wait. It'll be a, a great opportunity for everybody to go and take in games from around the country as well. I like the even spread of the mm. stadiums as well. You know, the fact that you've got one made stadium in two main stadiums in London, then you've got one in Manchester, Newcastle, Liverpool, Birmingham, Glasgow, Dublin. It's spread across the whole of the nations and regions. Yeah, and great for the younger generation as well. I remember Euro '96. I was fourteen. 
Um, Get and it, out of it. Don't lie about your age. <laughs> and it was a 24 br- more like. And, and it was a brilliant summer, and, and not just because England did so well, and we, we should talk about that. And, you know, maybe it's a casing point with Scotland doing a great vein of form as well. Wales, who obviously have gone deep into. Well, Scotland were in that tournament draw. and knocked out by the fact that we conceded right. a goal against um, yep. Holland in that 4 1, that brilliant 4 1 win. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ali McCoy uh, scored at that tournament for Scotland, he did. didn't he? Our own Ali McCoy. But it, it's got to give England an advantage, you know, playing on home soil. and it, and the same for the other nations as well. You can imagine the atmosphere in in Cardiff, in, in Glasgow and in Belfast as well, and in Dublin if all those nations qualify. And, and let's be honest, when it comes to the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, they need a shot in the arm, don't they? Because uh, their decline has been quite dramatic. Who's going to be the manager in 2028? Gareth still? No, I can't see it. Can you? I think this will be his last tournament. But, but it's, <laughs> it's a brilliant question, you know. And when the FA draw up a list of potential successes, they can say to I tell you what, it becomes a lot in. more of an attractive Absolutely. job, actually, to replace Gareth Southgate now. Because the, the, the potential successor has the opportunity to take a team at a major tournament on home soil. Yeah, and that's going to be part of the sales pitch, I'm sure. For me, and I, I don't think you'll disagree with this, not sure we can get him out of Newcastle at this moment in time, but Eddie Howe's the obvious candidate, isn't do, he? Do you think that um, they might be able to tempt Pep Guardiola to do it? Well, th- there is talk of his succession plan at Manchester City, Roberto De Zerbi at Brighton, one of those in the frame. So He's talked about wanting to do international management. It's one of these big things, is that one stage in the future he wants to take a big nation. And I'm not necessarily sure it's Spain because he's got obviously political differences there and he's very much a Catalan. I don't know whether or not that would stop him from taking the Spain job. But he's always had this ambition to take an international job. Maybe, just maybe, by the time we get to 2028, it could be an England team with some big superstars in it, led by Jude Bellingham, possibly the captain by that time, and Pep Guardiola as the manager. I'm getting carried away. Can you tell? Well, yeah, but <laughs> listen, I think there's a lot of England fans who, who still don't like the idea of an overseas manager being in charge of the national team. I think Pep would probably I think be Pep would be the exception the to that rule, absolutely. So uh, it's a good job for somebody because w- whether you think Gareth Southgate has been a success or not, he has laid the foundations there. And as you say, there are some incredible young players now coming into the team. I mean, even somebody like Phil Foden, who, who isn't necessarily guaranteed to be a starter for England the fact that he can't necessarily get into the first 11 shows you how much quality there is at the England manager's disposal and the fact it's a home tournament I think it's a brilliant job it's great for Scotland it's great for Northern Ireland Wales and great for Republic of Ireland as well I've been so lucky over the course of my career to follow those nations especially Republic of Ireland and Scotland in qualifying campaigns and at major tournaments you know you did Scotland, didn't you, for TalkSport? In Glasgow, yeah. During uh, the, the last tournament. I did Scotland in the qualification attempts for the 2018 World Cup. I followed the Republic of Ireland in 2016 around France and what was a fantastic experience. It was it was just absolutely brilliant. I remember coming back from Lille the night that they beat Italy to get through to the knockout stages. The next morning, getting on a train at at uh, this huge station in Lille and being on the platform with loads of Ireland fans and there was a geezer with a guitar sitting on the floor and sitting next to him was Kevin Kilban. It was, <laughs> it was that sort of atmosphere. Everyone was together and it was, it was pure colour and pure, uh, pure passion. It was just brilliant. It was a brilliant experience. So I think that the, the idea that all of the nations will be able to, to, to share in the joy will make it a fuller tournament. I agree. And uh, obviously, as I mentioned, I was with uh, 
with Scotland in Glasgow, but it wasn't quite the same because we were still coming out of COVID. There were still a lot of measures in, in place there. That's the other thing, isn't it? You know, we sort of had a tournament, it was a half tournament. Now let's have it properly and we can be do it, doing it in the right way. And, you know, we everyone's talking about these issues that we had at Wembley on that day. And it was horrible. I was there. It but was, it was a horrible time was, for the world. It was just a horrible time for everybody. And it, we're not in the same place now. And hopefully, touch wood, that we'll never be in that place again. But like we can enjoy it and embrace it now. This is a this is a real opportunity. I feel like a kid in a sweet shop. Right? I do. Do you know what I might do this afternoon? I might go and watch My Summer with Des. Have you seen that? Yeah, good oh, film. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant sort of take on Euro '96, yeah. isn't it? And so. this this is going to be just as big. I if, think if that not was bigger. one of the reasons why football in this country went through the roof. It by did. the way, you know, because yeah. we had the situation with '86 and '90, where it obviously got close and people, you know, then really sort of bought into football I remember going to school in 1990 and people weren't really that interested in the beginning of the tournament I remember talking, trying to find friends that were interested in football and the explosion after that was crazy the amount of people that got into it and then the Premier League started and then you had the situation where we didn't have the tournament in 94 because we didn't qualify but to get to 96 all of a sudden it was the centre of the world again because it was so good and because everyone was gripped to it it was uh, it was brilliant. Do you think the FA will be uh, flying the players out to Hong Kong pre-tournament this time around? Well, one of the things. Set up 100% to be Graham Potter. He's in no rush to get back into management following his Chelsea payout. I think he takes over after Euro 2024. Could well happen. You never know. Keep your texts coming in. 8-10-89 on the text. Uh, we're talking about the UK and Ireland hosting Euro 2028. It's been confirmed. It's happening. It's coming. It's going to come. And I nearly said it's coming home. It's not coming home. It's coming here everywhere, all over the course of uh, the summer of 2028. It's going to be exciting. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.